everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We uh, are a happily married couple of four children. It is 11, 9, 7, and 4. And we live in Montana. We homeschool and we ski and do judo. And we camp. And we camp in our van. So I built a van. Um, if you, if this is your first time joining us, just so you know what to expect, we don't know what to expect either. So we would like to give you a roadmap, but we're not that kind of podcast. We, we just, we talk, we talk, we talk about whatever's on our minds. Exactly. Um, I had something I was going to start out with and I totally flaked it. So to carry on. Okay. I have something I was going to start out with. (laughs) So just after lunch, I I was outside and I found my favorite flower is the zinnia. I absolutely love how big and bold and long lasting and prolific zinnias are. And ours, like everything in our garden, are coming up late this year. But I try to plant a row of zinnias and some seasons they're three or more feet tall and thick bushes by the time everything is said and done. But right now it's sporadic flowers. But I try to plant a row of zinnias as kind of the punctuation mark in between different types of plants. So I have cucumbers and then some zinnias and then uh, spaghetti squash, zinnias, butternut squash, green beans, zinnias, snow peas, zinnias, tomatoes. You get the point. Yes. The husband of one of our listeners... He may had a garden in his old house that just kind of blew my mind. Because growing up, my mom, my mom listens to the show, so no offense to my mother, but our garden was almost purely functional. Like, it was all things you could eat. That's what the garden was. Which is was. what gardens usually are. Right. And my buddy John's garden, on the other hand, was like, he had flowers over here and decorative things over there, and then his vegetables were there. Are you talking about and John this... and Nicole? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was his garden is... was like, when I first saw it, I was like... That was what inspired me, actually, when they had us over for dinner a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, and that was what inspired me the next year to start planting flowers in our garden, because it just made it so lovely every time you go out there. Yes. So, yep, that it, they are, John and Nicole, you guys are the reason that yes. I have flowers intermixed with. And also, I understand now that the more flowers you have in your garden, the more it attracts pollinators. This is kind of a funny thing. I haven't told you this, JR, but we've talked about the lack of bees in our in our yard this year. And our not ho- even really any wasps either. We we have some wasps. We just killed two Titus and I killed two nests this morning, so hopefully that will help that situation a little bit. But not nearly the problem that we usually have wasp wise, but very, very few bees. And now that the hollyhocks are done blooming, I actually just cut them down because they were just Looking really? tall and scraggly and They were like 10 gross. feet tall. They were, literally. Phenomenal. Uh, they were attracting a lot of bees, but now that they're mostly seeds, they, they're they just kind of gross and scraggly and dropping their seeds everywhere, which means we're going to have a crazy, a scary, literally scary amount of hollyhocks next year. That's going to be fun. I, anyway, so very few bees... And I had never realized how important 
pollinators are in a garden. So zucchini, maybe some of you guys are smarter than I am and you've known this forever, but squash, zucchini, butternut squash, things like that. There are male flowers and female flowers on the zucchini plant. And the female flowers are the ones that turn into fruit. And the male flowers and the female flowers, the pollen in them, has to mix in order for the fruit to actually develop. Basically, this little bud of fruit looks like the plant has its period. Like, oh, didn't get pollinated, just going to drop off and die. Literally, that's what happens. And that's been happening in our garden. So we have all of these teeny little squash buds that are not getting pollinated by male flowers because bees are not buzzing around in the male flower and having the pollen from the stamen mm. stick to their legs and then going in the female flowers and mixing the male pollen with female pollen for the, for the zucchini. We cannot get plant. away with an episode without talking about sex. It's lovely. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about <laughs> zucchini. I, I'm not even talking about eggplant. I don't know what you're talking about, Jr. Jr. Oh my god. No, no, no. This, Let's pause no, 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 the show this, and go upstairs. This actually gets even funnier <laughs> because tomato plants also need pollinators. Every single flower needs to be pollinated, and this has been a problem. We have these three plus foot tall tomato plants, and they have these bright yellow flowers on them, and then the flowers just turn brown and dry up and fall off instead of turning into a tomato. Tomato flowers also need to be pollinated, but tomato flowers self-pollinate. They're like worms. They're not like <laughs> mammals. So what you do to pollinate a tomato flower is you just shake the flower. <laughs> Kid you not. So I go out there every day, and every I find a tomato flower, and I just flowers. jiggle them around. And that is self-pollinating a tomato plant. This is the science. The world is so weird. God created it all. And God so created it delightfully weird. interesting and amazing. But the moral of the story here is we are going to have a lot of hollyhocks next year. And no we're, tomatoes. No, we're going to have a lot of tomatoes, too. But we need bees. Because I don't oh, want to be pollinating our tomatoes and our zucchini. Speaking of sex, it's... Uh, Praying mantis season, you guys. I was not speaking of sex. I was speaking of vegetables. But it's praying mantis season now. It is. We have seen a couple of and praying I, I would, mantises. I don't remember what episode praying we talked manti? about. I don't know. Praying mantises. 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 Uh, I don't remember what episode it was we talked about praying mantises. It was last but year it's kind at this of a, time. It's a thing. So take away. I actually need, what we actually need is I need to design 50. a Too Busy to Flush t-shirt with just a headless praying mantis on it. <laughs> I guess say, life is weird and hard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we what did would, you call them? You, Sex would, starved aliens or something? Something like something that. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, we would be. Life is weird and hard. That's the really. Kings funny. and queens of designing clothing that nobody would purchase. <laughs> so far, we are pretty good at that. That's true. Um, um, but that's a brilliant idea. I might have to do that. So anyway, going back to my original, I sent the girls out. Because I, at Goodwill a couple of years ago, maybe just last year, I found this cute little metal thing, metal rack, that has three, probably four-inch glass jars in it. And so I told, we have three girls, right? So I said, each of you girls go out with a pair of clippers and choose a zinnia of your choice. Fill this jar with water from the hose, and this we're going to bring some zinnias inside. 
You would have thought I had given each girl $500. In fact, our girls have no have very little concept of money, so they would have been they were happier to pick a flower and bring it inside than if we had handed them a $100 bill. I guarantee you. They were happier about picking a flower, which made me think we have very girly girls. So, well, we have very girly girls, but also um it made me think in my head I was kind of subtitling that whole little pericope of our lives, how to make a little girl's day. And then I thought, you know, I bet there are a lot of ways that people in our world out there who are listening to us right now either try to make somebody's day or have other people have made their day in really small, thoughtful ways, whether it's just, hey, I was thinking of you. Uh, prayed for you this morning or getting a handwritten letter from somebody or just little things that having somebody think of you kindly and then do either do something in response to that or just let you know that makes your day. Where are you at with your idea with Elise on Oh, coming up with. I have done absolutely nothing oh, on it, but that's a good reminder. I know. So, you guys, what Jr. is referring to is we, our children, don't precisely follow birth order stereotypes because our oldest is a boy, and our second born is in a lot of ways more motivated than he is, and kind of more. Although he's gotten really into cleaning his room. He likes to have an orderly room, and he did two loads of laundry by himself today, including washing his own sheets. Sweet. <laughs> he's a firstborn. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but, so so maybe he's growing into that a little bit, but our thirdborn just fits all the thirdborn stereotypes, including the struggle for what's unique about me compared to my siblings. She's the one who gets really upset when the fourth born copies her, which is all the time because that's what preschoolers do, right? They copy their big siblings. Is she in preschool already? She is four. She's wow. technically, she's not a toddler. She's a preschooler. Oh. I mean, when you're homeschooled, who knows? Getting so old. But she is. She's okay. so cute these days. <clears throat> she's adorable. She, anyway, so, so I had this idea. One of the things that really, really delights our third born is blessing and serving other people. And she's actually been struggling enough lately with self-control that we've been around a couple people where they're like, oh, she's not actually real that, that pleasant to be around. But normally, people will go out of their way to say what a delight she is for them to be around. And I think part of it is because she really lights up getting special attention from people because she gets... She just slips through the cracks in our family dynamics or she acts out for attention and then she gets the negative attention because she's the third born and we're busy and negative attention. Which is I always kind of just wonder about that. But I'm not a third born, obviously. I'm a first born. But um, she's so her that you can't when she comes into a room, she doesn't suck the air out of a room. But, you know, Elise is there. Like, Elise is very Elise. That's just who she is. And so it's not like she doesn't get attention. It's not like she has no unique personality, uniqueness to it. But she's, she's, just... she's commented a lot lately, there's nothing special about me. Yes. That there's, you know, I don't have anything. Because Lily, as many of you guys know, bakes bread and sells it at judo. And she's got the corner on that market. So Elise will be like, maybe I could make 
cupcakes and sell them at Juderus. Like, it, it's not quite the same thing. Like, and also the ease of it and the uniqueness of it, uh, you know, so... So she's got that, and Titus is the boy in the family, so he's got something unique, and he's able to do... He's he's the oldest, so he gets privileges and opportunities that other people that she doesn't get anyway. And then Faith is the baby, so she gets all the youngest child privileges and cuteness and all the things. And so, while we see unique and special things about Elise, she often feels like she's getting the shaft. And an idea that I have had... Because she is also the child, maybe by personality, who knows the combination of nurture and nature, right? But by some unique God-given combination of nature and nurture, Elise is the one who is always thinking of doing thoughtful things for other people. She's the first one to bring you a Band-Aid or water, or she pays attention. When you say you need something or this would be nice, she immediately cues in and goes out and does it. Yes, and... If she goes out shopping, grocery shopping with grandma, the other kids, if they went grocery shopping with grandma, would come and come and go, grandma bought me a treat while I was out shopping with her. Hmm. Nobody else got that treat. Grandma got me the treat because I was shopping hmm. with her. And Elise go, come, goes shopping with grandma and goes, everybody else would be so sad if they were to find out that I got a treat mm -hmm. and so they didn't. So we have to get whatever treat I'm getting. Everybody has to get the treat. Yeah. And she's very careful about including other people like that and very thoughtful about things like that. And so I've had this idea that maybe, maybe Elisa's thing that would be unique to her and that would really key in on that particular gifting that she has that she could in lead the family and I think I don't want this to just be her I want her to actually be take a leadership role in our family to the extent that she can is to to sit down and make a weekly a list maybe make the list by the month and come up with people that she would like to bless and how she would like to bless them and I think she would have no problem coming up with that list especially if we primed the pump a little bit with some ideas I think the challenge will be in my follow-through <laughs> And me needing to be held accountable to actually make this happen for her because yeah. it it will require, you know, if she wants to make cookies for this widow in our church that said hi to her at church on Sunday, that requires me basically doing all of the work and then having to leave the house to deliver the cookies. And if you know me, I'm an uber homebody. And so the idea of loading everybody in the car to go deliver cookies is actually burdensome to me. <laughs> And so Elise is the opposite, exact opposite of Molly. In a lot of ways. Way. Yes, but Elise also doesn't bear the burden of making no, things like no, that happen. True. No, I think they'd be brilliant because for all the all the all the right reasons. Um you guys, the Spartan is gone. Literally. Literally gone. gone. Uh couldn't really find anybody that wanted to I mean, there were people that wanted to come take it, but there was just this, that, nobody and nobody followed thing. through. Nobody followed through. And so I uh, I scrapped it. It's been sitting next to our garage for a little over two years. Yeah. So those of you that started listening to us mid-2020 or before July of 2020 will remember the trip I took out to Oakland, California in the middle of COVID to bring back a 1954 Spartan Royal Mansion. And um, I mean, in, in the at the end of the day, it was in, it could have been rebuilt, but it was in rougher shape then. Uh, it wasn't the best specimen um to uh because it had already been remodeled 
wasn't the best specimen with which to. And it had been go. tagged with graffiti, so it was going to require a lot of scrubbing and yeah, stuff. You were going to buff all that out anyway at yeah. some point. But um, yeah, so it's gone. J- End of a chapter happened today. Yep. I got a cool $157 for all that scrap That's metal. Oh, I might go buy myself say. a dinner. Yeah. <laughs> or a lunch for three people in Billings, Montana. You could afford you could afford a couple of drinks because inflation has gone down. <laughs> yeah, right. Four, or three gas days. prices have gone down. Oh man. Um so church on Sunday, we <sighs> sang I stand amazed in the presence mm-hmm. of Jesus the Nazarene. And I was really struck by the lines. He took my sin and my sorrows and made them his very own. Oh, man, I'm blanking on the rest of the verse. And, boy, I got to Google it really quickly. Sorry, guys. Total fail. <laughs> Who sings Total it? fail. It's a hymn. It's an old hymn. Oh. I don't uh, know that I've ever heard it. You haven't? No. Okay, well, maybe we'll have to do it. I mean, it really unless we quick. sang stanzas one, three, and five. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very old hymn. One, two, Let's, and four? Here's what... Comes which one we always skipped. We always skipped either two or four. I stand two or three. amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. So, bump, bump. Um, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Uh, verse four, according to the first hymnal.net that I came up with. He took my sins and my sorrows and made them his very own and bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. And that verse really struck me because the, for two reasons. One is not only did Jesus take our sins, which, um, in the theological tradition of which we are a part, that is the emphasis, right? That, justification justification is by grace alone you need to be justified to stand to stand before a holy god because you're a sinner yes and and yet this verse also emphasizes that jesus took my sorrows which is the struggles that i have from living in a fallen world and so he took my sins upon him and there's i'm i'm really not feeling on my game right now but there are there are bible passages that also will reference the the sin and the sorrow aspect of what Christ did for us that he didn't just die to redeem us from our sin from our offenses against a holy god he died to rescue us from the grief that we bear from living in a fallen world and there's this goes into a, a larger theme that I've been contemplating this week, which is kind of a, a decentering, if you will, of some of my, how I have lived my theology for the last couple of years, which is this emphasis on, on sin and, you know, you do what's right. You you just obey, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Well, what if you are trusting and obeying and you're still not happy in Jesus because life in this world is hard. And, and, and you're, you're happy in Jesus because he not only took your sin, but it, because he took your sorrow. And then the rest of that verse says, and he suffered and died alone and suffering can be a very isolating experience, whether, 
I remember thinking about this. I know I've talked about this before, but the the when I had morning sickness, I would lie in bed for I mean, I you guys I spent is not quite four times nine, thirty-six divided by three or divided by twelve, three years of my life. Not quite three full years of my life, bed bound with morning sickness. Really? Yeah. It's horrible. Nine months times four kids is 36 months. I mean, they divided by 12 months blessing, a year is three, three years of my life. Or time. Um, they are a blessing. Look how delightful <laughs> our kids are. And it's, it's a long term. We're playing the long nobody's term. Actually, whoops, oh. Nobody's actually uh, got Knocked their face plowed to our window right yeah. now demanding screen time or something. Not currently. Not yet. <clears throat> the, the, Not yet. The podcast is still young. Fair. Um. You totally derailed me. Oh, so Sorry. so being having a severe morning sickness is a very isolating experience because which made me think of people with chronic illness in general. You suffering is not a team sport. You suffer whether it's physically or emotionally by and large alone. And even I've heard this from couples who've had miscarriages, which we had a miscarriage, but it didn't rock us quite like I think yeah, we were so it wasn't- we yeah. were so, I don't know. We had three kids already. We were so busy getting on with our lives that we didn't necessarily have the deep grief that some couples with ongoing miscarriages have. And everybody suffers differently with miscarriage. But I've heard from some couples that with, with ongoing infertility or other forms of suffering where it affects both husband and wife, it's a desire that both have. But you experience it in very unique ways, and it can be very isolating for a wife to be grieving in a particular way, and the husband to be grieving, grieving, but grieving in a very different way. And it can drive a wedge between you because husband and wife don't successfully communicate about their grief, and husband and wife don't feel the same things about an event that happened, the same event that happened to them. And so even... A suffering that you share can feel very lonely when you're experiencing that suffering. And it just struck me that when that verse of I stand amazed in the presence says that Jesus suffered and died alone because he very much suffered and died alone, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is the only one who has truly suffered alone. And he suffered and died alone so that we, even though we feel alone, we are not alone. And even when David in Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels forsaken, but his feeling of being forsaken is not reality in the same way that it was for Christ on well, the cross. Well, you're right. And the thought that runs through my head is, you know, when we go, when you go through a, a, a time of suffering, it's like you said, the husband and wife, you know, they might be grieving the same thing, but they're experience, experiencing that suffering. It is, it may be a joint circumstance, but they're experiencing that circum, that, that suffering in a very unique way that is unique to them. And I think that uniqueness contributes uh, to a lot of isolation that people feel in suffering because you can't really know, you know, yeah, there's like when I got divorced, there was definitely an aspect of um, 
you don't have the right or the ability to speak into my life because you don't actually know what I'm feeling or what I'm going through right now. And even though other people who are divorced might have a little more rapport with you because they've gone through similar, maybe their circumstance wasn't the same. Well, it absolutely wasn't. It's guaranteed that it wasn't the same. Right. So what I find really interesting about that is like we can expect almost all of our suffering to have a level of isolation just simply due to the uniqueness of our particular circumstance in that Mm -hmm. event. But because Christ completely fulfilled and conquered all of that suffering, death, and loss. But he's also omnipotent and omniscient. And I think that goes into to helping us understand that when he, when he suffered and died, it was, like you said, so we don't feel alone because we know he knows exactly what we're feeling. Even if we feel alone, we know that we're not alone. Right. So that the, our knowledge trumps our feelings. I think, too, as you were talking, it made me think about the humility that is very weirdly enough suffering can breed pride which when people are leaning in and telling you how you should be responding and how you should have acted and how you how you could fix things or they're trying to fix you and you know that it's not going to work and so they're trying to fix you feels hurtful and problematic the the tendency that I won't project on everybody else. The tendency in my heart and that I have personally experienced with a handful of other people isn't is the your pride rears its head and you're like you can't talk to me about that. You don't get to even try to This is one of the hmm. beautiful things about CCEF's counseling ministry and particularly Ed Welch is that he he's very keen to normalize are suffering in a way that says, I, I know I've talked about this before, but when I was in seminary, Welch did this entire lecture where he's talked about Halloween candy and his craving for Butterfingers and how he just could not walk past the Halloween candy bowl without taking a Butterfinger while he's going down to his office. And before he knows it, he's just disgusted with himself because he's eaten so many Butterfingers today and he can't help himself. And then he just seamlessly transitions into counseling a crack addict. And he's like, <laughs> and his point was, was my desire for Butterfingers is on a spectrum where the crack addict is on the other end of the spectrum. And our, our experiences are clearly not the same because my, my desire that to which I cannot say no is not the same as a crack addict's desire, but at some level of, of, overgrown desire in the human heart I can identify with this person and we can we can minister to one another with our outsized desires that are controlling us and we can seek the Lord together and so I love this this normalizing of all experiences all seem to all be on a spectrum and he does the same thing with shame and with anger and so I think that somebody, you know, the crack addict might bristle at the person who struggles with eating too many Butterfingers saying, my suffering, my struggle is like your struggle. And that's this pride rearing up. No, 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 no. You're, you don't have it as hard as I do. And you don't get to try to tell me what to do. You don't try to get to Romans, you don't get to Romans 828 me or whatever. You don't get to throw a scripture passage at me because 
that's not helpful and truly often it isn't i will own that what what is helpful when that you normalize the suffering is to come alongside someone and minister to their soul as paul says in second corinthians 1 that I I comfort you in your suffering out of the overflow of the comfort which with which Christ himself has comforted me. Do you me. think a lot of people even know how to do that? No, I don't to know how to do it. comfort. No. I, I I mean it's it's something that I struggle with and that I'm I think the more God brings us through hard things, that's the only way we learn how to really apply the comfort of Christ to other people is the school of hard knocks. So no, I don't think that, I think that very few people in this world are just inherently naturally good at genuinely ministering to somebody else's soul while they're in suffering. And because there's the flip side of the pride that you have two, two people's pride battling against each other. On the one side, you have, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me you understand me. Don't tell me that you have a way to fix me. Don't tell me that I'm not gospeling hard enough. And that's why I'm still suffering. On the other hand, you have the person who is essentially, you know, the Pharisee saying, oh, God, thank you so much that I'm not suffering like that person. I must be doing something right. And I know I'm not mired in conflict because I do Matthew 18 properly all the time, or I'm not suffering in my marriage because I don't let the sun go down on my anger, or my children aren't rebellious because I disciplined them, train up the child in the way they should go. There's a million. I am not. I am not <laughs> overweight like you because I have self control at the grocery store. I think store. these are all. I think on some level I've heard every single one of these before. Well, of course, in, in you have. sincerity I mean, from the other person. Yeah, really? no the temptation way. has seized you except what is oy, common oy, to man, right? I'm, I'm, say, I could probably go on and on. Well, good thing I didn't get pulled over by that cop because I'm only going two miles over the speed limit and they were going ten. <laughs> no, no, for they me, it's just, like I wasn't going as fast as the guy who got pulled over. Exactly, exactly, Still exactly. It just happened that the person was ahead of you because they sped past you, so the cop got to them <clears> first. You know, and. And so the pride of, of, I'm so glad that it's not me who's suffering like that because, and an unspoken, probably even unacknowledged part of that, and I'm saying this out of my own heart as I look at other people, is not, God's, God's doing a very unique thing in your life, and that's why he's, he has you in the situation that you're in, and he has a particular call for obedience and for faith in you and he's going to work a unique fruit of the spirit in you and what you're doing it's i'm not in that circumstance that you're in because i'm better than that i've somehow managed to avoid that because of my own bootstrapping and my own use of scripture in my life or my own whatever it is um so so you have going back to your original question do you think people are good at this no i don't think people are very good at being one another because our pride prevents us hmm. from humbly well, accepting someone else's I think love. The other, one other um, pitfall here, uh, since you know you you brought up pride, um, and I think I can I can I'm more attuned to this maybe because it's a little more my bent um, is taking whatever it is whatever that suffering is that you're going through, and making that your identity mm-hmm. and a source of your righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so you never let it go. It becomes a part of who you are. Like, I think most people in the world know the one woman who is identified by the one miscarriage she had 20 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, 
Really? Still? You know, you haven't gotten over this yet? Um, and it becomes who Not you are. Not that mean, you we have, can't have your grief shape you, inform you into who you are. Right. Uh, and how well, you love other people yeah. well. And uh, we've got this, I mean, there's a, I have a shoot, there's this, on Instagram, uh, somebody, well, somebody followed us at one point. I, I don't want to, if they listen to the show, I don't want to be uh, disparaging, but it feels like their particular trauma and suffering, they've built their whole brand identity out of. You yes. Know? And it's like, I understand there's a need, you see it, a need for for this particular source but when you, she sees maybe she sees a need for ministry in that particular yeah. niche area to which she's always speaking right. but it becomes become it at risks you risk it becoming your identity and then you end up risking it becoming well this becomes a source of my righteousness by how i interact with it by how much i I struggle with it. And I have to hold on to it. Yeah, I have to hold on to it to, you know... To To be who I am. Right. To have a sense of identity at all. It's a mess. We're all a mess, right? Let's go crawl under a rock. People are weird and hard. (laughs) Uh, Crawl under a rock. So, a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, there was a telegram discussion on praying and on prayer. And I don't even remember how it started, but one thought that I did not take the time to write on the Telegram channel, there were, I mean, it would take you guys, if you are on the Telegram and you didn't catch the prayer conversation, it's water so far past under the bridge. I don't even know if you would. Somebody responded to something I wrote like a billion ago. posts ago. And I was like, I almost responded like, wow, you went deep way back. Way back. Yeah. Like you went way back or just catching up or something. That's a lot of reading. But something, so I, I talked about ways that I've been feeling decentered by God recently. And when we got back from our Kalispell cabin trip, one of our two cats, and you guys know we're now crazy cat people. We adore our cats. And it's a good thing we have two because we fight over those two regularly. One of the cats... By we, I'm not included in this we conversation. At least oh, not fighting. I love my cats. You don't fight over them. You pick them up and them. snuggle them and baby talk to them, though. Well, yeah, of course. They're always so communicative with <laughs> they me. They do. And they're cuddly and they purr and they lay there like you guys, I, little warm, teddy, cuddly teddy bears. They do. I read teddy, on... Teddy they wrap cats. their tails teddy around cats. your legs while they're mm-hmm. rubbing up against your legs. I read recently, and I don't know if this is true, maybe somebody can fact check me, that cats developed their meows to communicate with humans. Cats do not meow to any other creature or in any other context than when they are communicating with their humans. Wait, what about when a cat is in heat? Oh, they. That's true. We do. Oh man, you guys, cats in heat. Do not let your cats go in heat. So gross. It is really. It's just gross. There's a reason that cats. There's so many kittens in shelters. Cats have a drive to get pregnant when they're in heat. It is gross. It's but just we're not, anything. We're not going to talk anything. about... anything. They don't care if it's another no, cat stop. or a stick. It's we're not like, going to talk about that Ugh. now. But... The show is called Too Busy to Flush. The cats... <laughs> the cats, when they go out for all night and hunt or whatever, and they come in in the morning, and both cats walk in the screen door and are immediately... Meow! Meow! And they walk around our house meowing, even if everybody's still in bed, until they find somebody. It's hilarious. (laughs) So so this is the second time in our 
in our short career of being cat owners that a cat disappeared for an unnervingly... I had cats in my first marriage, but I hated all of them, and they hated me and always peed in my shoes. Cats, no. So this is the second time that a cat has disappeared for an unnervingly long amount of time. The first time, we got Luna as this teeny cute little ball of fluff and we learned, named her Luna Lovegood because she had these crazy white whiskers that just super long they were so long and we it was like Luna Lovegood in Harry Potter's hair just white everywhere all over the place and we had gotten her from some friends who have a little ranchette in in the middle of other homes and we got her she was a barn cat we had her for a couple of weeks and then we were leaving town for long enough that we asked if we could just take her back to their house to hang out with her mom outside. And they were like, yeah, sure. No skin off of her back. She's an outdoor cat here. Well, she disappeared from their house and they spent several days looking and calling her. And I joined all of the local internet groups for lost pets and I posted pictures of her. And then JR just happens to get on Craigslist and finds her for sale for what twenty five bucks? What? Yeah, like twenty five bucks or something. I don't remember what it was. And it was absolutely her. So he. So they, they made the mistake of putting their phone number on the ad. So I emailed, didn't get any response. So I grabbed the phone number and started texting. And then I texting the phone number, didn't get any response. Went back to the ad. The ad was taken down. And I told them, "This is our cat." Then I started. Sending them spamming the phone number with images of the cat with our kids, with our kids and everything. And they played dumb. You know, like, oh, we're so glad you found we found your cat and you got your cat back and yada, 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 yada. Basically, she'd wandered to the perimeter of this ranchette and they had probably snagged her Mm -hmm. thinking she was a stray or something. And she was super cute. But she was within spitting distance of the home that she was staying at and and she was a really chill very used to kids already cat so jared ended up getting her back but we she was gone for close to a week i think Mm. and and then as well as this other time we don't know where minerva was the last time she was gone for like two and a half days but it feels like a really long time when your cat sleeps on your bed every night (laughs) and so so both times my Faith has been stretched to the point of unnerving me because Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at you. It, no, it's it's. I'm I mean, just kind of like it's a cat. I know, but but the kids are the kids are very distressed. And I, it'd be good for the kids to learn loss at this young age. Oh, they've they've learned loss in some ways. I'm so cruel. But they they really are concerned about their cat. They want their cat back, and and I have this catch in my soul against saying, "Let's pray that God will bring the cat back." God knows when a sparrow falls, right? He knows where the cat is. He cares for the cat because it's one of his creatures. He cares for us and our souls. But knowing that God could very well answer that prayer with no, the cat got hit on the road, or the cat's just going to disappear as cats sometimes do. And we, we don't live in the country, but we live close enough that occasionally there are rabid foxes wandering through our yard. Once, actually, fun story. Only once, but but there time. are there are eagle bald eagles that circle above us regularly. I've never seen a bald eagle snatch a cat, but it's not unthinkable. 
anyway, all these different risks that you run with having a cat that spends half of its life outside. And the idea of praying with the kids who are mildly distraught or very distraught about their cat for God to bring the cat back is a hurdle for me because what do I tell the kids? Just that balance of, and it's the same thing, you know, I was talking to a friend this last weekend whose dad had had a stroke and he has, it's, it's been a really long time and he is a very different man. The stroke affected him enough. He's a very different man than pre-stroke. And, you know, when, when somebody has an accident and people in good, well-meaning people say, pray hard and this person will be healed. And that, I mean, yeah, maybe, or maybe not. I mean, maybe the we ex- just be praying hard regardless. The, the extreme example, well, the extreme example is a couple of years ago, maybe some of you guys out there will remember this. There was a, a kind of word of faith church group where some relatively Wasn't prominent like a Bethel music crowd. Or I something? think it might've been Bethel. Some fairly prominent worship leaders in there. Their I don't remember all the details. Maybe four year old daughter didn't wake up from a nap and they absolutely refused to believe that she was dead. And they kept, they, they kept all 24 hour prayer and worship vigils. And there were hashtags. There are people all over the globe praying. The hashtag was like, wake up little girl or something like that. And every day they would post on their Instagram page, the third day is a great day for a resurrection. The fourth day is a great day for a resurrection. The fifth day is a great day for a resurrection. Like, no, that little girl needs to be buried. God very well can raise somebody from the dead. I am not aware of that happening beyond the New Testament period where God was doing special signs and wonders in the establishment of the New Testament church. Can and can God still work in that way today? Absolutely he can, but does he? I haven't seen it in that way. I haven't seen convincing proof in that way. And I think that God is choosing in this era or this dispensation to work in a different way than the miracles of raising people from the dead. But what's the difference between praying in faith for God to raise a little girl from the dead and praying in faith for God to bring a cat home? And how do I explain, how do those people explain to the millions of people across the globe who were praying for this little girl to be raised from the dead? Oh, all of a sudden we changed our minds and we're not, we're not totally. And it's, it's not a fault of our faith. It wasn't a lack of faith that God didn't answer the prayer. And it wasn't for the lack of you, the earnestness of your prayers. We just, you know, God chose not to work in this way. But you've been so confident for days that if you just prayed hard enough and you just had this faith that God would do it. And I think I'm answering my own question because the difference is, you know, in in asking God to heal somebody who is sick. Because, we're, you know, you're not just talking about raising little girls from the dead. We're talking about dads who have heart attacks and, you know, people who are diagnosed with cancer and people who are in fiery car crashes and their prognosis is not great. How do we pray? Well, we, we pray trusting that God can save that person's life. And we also pray as in a telegram channel, people pointed out as Jesus did in the garden, 
which is whatever you have before me, whatever suffering and grief you have before me, not my will, but yours be done. And so you can 100% pray knowing that God loves you and God has you in his hand and that God is powerful enough to do what you're asking him to do, but also knowing that God loves you enough to not always give you what you want and that God is wiser and more powerful and more loving than you can imagine. And so you can trust praying earnestly for the desire of your heart as well as praying for God to make the desire of your heart, not my will, but yours be done. Um, uh, didn't Jesus ask for the cup to be passed from him, though? Yeah, He absolutely. still asked. Yeah. He still, he knew, he still asked for it to pass. So I think in that vein, too, we're st- by, by still... It's that submission, like you said, the submission to to the recognition that God is sovereign and he's going to do what he wills, but we can pray in hope. And we can pray without feeling guilty that we don't want to suffer. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, I think there's a, there's a difference, one difference, obvious difference between praying for uh, cats to come home versus girls to rise from the dead is the fact that one is a, one is a known... One is a known finality, and the other is an unknown. You know, we don't, like, when a cat disappears, no, we don't know what happens to it. But with the little girl, we know she's dead. We know with medical... Guess what? Death came into the world through one man, and <laughs> sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. So we know it's it's, it's there. Like, you, th- there's a little bit of a difference there, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. I just... I have this catch in, in even asking God to bring our cat home in faith because I don't want I'm I'm afraid of trusting God with our kids' faith when the things that they ask God for he does not grant well we need to start that process now of trusting for my kids' faith trusting God for our kids' faith because we have no control over it like we're called to be faithful. to be faithful and teaching them and raising them in godliness. I mean, but at the end of the day, it's not dependent on us, and we can't control it. Yes, which is actually quite a relief. I'm a little how sensitive to that because fail. I grew up with some homeschool families who were flabbergasted that their kids went off the rails. They did everything right. Their kids shouldn't have gone off the rails. And they controlled their kids down to every item of clothing that they wore and everything Uh that they got to see and do and interact with. And they can't can't believe that once their kids stopped living in such a controlled environment. Right. Raise up your child in the way they should go, not the way they will go. (laughs) That is such a challenging verse for me again. Um, Anyway, that... um, Now I'm going to, to put a challenge out to Katie Faust... Oh boy! Who <laughs> called me did out we, last week? She's like, yeah, I was gonna say, did I, we talk about that last week? When, you when mentioned Katie sat you, down and no, no. She says, tech, Katie texts me at, after last week's episode came out. She's like, ah, you talked about Faust, and I was like, <laughs> I, I swear we didn't talk about you on the show this week. I mean, we do for sure talk about Katie Faust because we love Katie's message and Katie is a person. If you guys don't know, I work with Katie at Canavox, and she has an organization called Them Before Us about protecting children's rights with all the ways that 
the result of the sexual revolution has wreaked havoc on the most vulnerable in our society, whether it's abortion or surrogacy or children being raised in same-sex homes. Katie has an entire book called Them Before Us that's phenomenal. It will blow your mind. But uh, she's also super fun. Like, we had her on, yeah. Brian and I had her on Dead Reckoning years ago. In Which, fact, that's how she got connected with you. And she's just a hoot. Like, she's just yeah. a blast. So if, if you, and she speaks Mandarin fluently. If, Who does that? If you can it's look... Like she's on Firefly or something. If you can look her up, if you're on Facebook and you can look her up, you will love to follow her. We know, I know our crowd well enough. I can confidently say mm-hmm. that. So at my Canevox weekend last week, Katie says, I'm going to read the Bible with you. And I was like, okay. And she's like... Give me a well, the first chap the first book of the Bible that comes to your mind. Well, didn't she? Did she like slowly? Yeah, she kind of you up by saying, into it. "Have you ever read the Bible? You've never read the Bible with me before, have you?" Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "No, no." So she she cracks open. I said Psalms. So she's like, "Okay, now now give me the first number that comes to your brain." And I said, mm, "63." And she's like, do you know what Psalm 63 says? And I was like, not off the top of my head. So she starts reading it, and she was like, just stop me when you feel like something starts hitting your soul. And by verse 2, I was crying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I did not tell Katie this, but the the Presbyterian world that I come from does not do that. (laughs) I grew up with some of that stuff. We very much pray... Uh, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to step out of line at all, God. And uh, if I raise my hands, it's just going to be like to shoulder level while I'm singing praise to God sort of thing. And um, I love reflecting on it and, you know, being around people who pray in faith in different ways and have different... Think different things of the Lord get them excited because of their faith traditions. I just have really this summer been delighting in that. We had two dinners this summer with people that we don't normally hang out with who are godly families, but outside of our church world. And they invited us over and welcomed us into their homes and our kids didn't want to leave. And uh, just it, it's humbling because I don't come from a faith tradition that excels in humility always it's humbling to be stuck in the middle of something and also my work with canavox most of my colleagues are catholic and the excellence with which they're raising their children and the deep convictions that they have and the beauty of how they're living lives of purity and pursuing the lord and I want to be humble enough to not be like, well, you're not pursuing the right Lord. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> I I do believe that there are Catholics who trust in Jesus for their salvation. And even if they don't use what I would consider the right vocabulary about justification and they have a different understanding of the role of Mary and the saints in our lives and the role of the authority of the church in our lives, that doesn't mean that God is not using the Holy Spirit to work salvation in their hearts through faith by grace. And so this summer, I just feel like more than normal, I've been surrounded by kind of decentering people and things that are living a vibrant and true and 
Christ-centered faith in a way that's different than how I am. And it's very humbling, but also exciting. And so um, that's it. That's all I got to say. And full stop. I know. I'm ding, sorry. Ding, ding, I was trying, I was trying to we come in up the station. With, I was trying to come up with something to tie all the different things we've talked about together today. So, I don't know. Live out your faith and make somebody's day with it. There you go. <laughs> There's a full circle. But but truly, it. actually, you know, if God prompts you to to contact somebody or to pick a flower and deliver it to them, that is a very um, vibrant expression of your faith. I love people. I love two things a ton about our podcast. The first one is I love the fact that that our Telegram community. There was some concerns early on when we started Telegram about how much that and discussions going on there was going to influence the content of the show, and I think it's we've been able to to balance that in a really healthy way where it we use it as a springboard, but it doesn't direct or tell us what we're going to talk about. Yeah, you guys can't tell us what to do. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, though, that I really like, and I've noticed this from the very beginning, is we don't, you know, as you know, we don't plan. I'm talking to the people again, but we don't plan the show. Like we don't sit down and come up with this really elaborate. Narrative I jot down throughout the week things that yada, catch yada, my yada. mind. But what I've noticed, though, even when you bring you know me into the equation, and I'm somewhat of an unknown factor when it comes to your notes, um, that we do tend to come full circle. Like the whole show could just kind of fits together, which I really like. It's just really kind of cool to see that happen every single week. Yeah. So, so Telegram people. When you listen to this, tell us how you are going to do... I mean, here's the, the generic cultural thing, right? A random act of kindness. Do not pay it forward in the coffee line. If you still go to Starbucks, which you shouldn't, <laughs> but that's a topic for another day. I will give you grace if your faith still allows you to go to Starbucks. <laughs> but don't pay it forward in the coffee line. If you do that, I will give you a frowny face on Telegram. That just creates a legalistic expectation. Karma will bite. That you have to keep paying for other people's stuff. But if you are randomly blessed by somebody this week in a small way, or you have the opportunity to do that for somebody else, let us know and share the love. Like, you know, how often, I've been kind of convicted about this recently, how often do we stop when somebody expresses a concern or expresses something challenging in your life? You talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you'll pray with me. Okay, I'll pray with you. And I remember go, this This was going, this went all the way back to college, like we talked about this. Like we, we'd say that. But do we stop and pray? Mm-hmm. You know? Here's another full circle. Nicole prays with you right in the moment. She will, I have had Nicole. See, we need times. more, we need to be more like Nicole. Stop and pray well, with me in the moment. <laughs> Sorry, I want to tease Nicole on the, on the radio. <laughs> but even that is a disarming, really deep blessing to have somebody pray with you. When you're expressing a concern rather than yeah. to say that they will. Because being verbally prayed over is a very uniquely powerful thing, which makes me think we should pray for our kids aloud over specific things for them with them. More. Oh, yeah, we do. We never do that. It's really vulnerable and kind of yes. oddly humbling when you pray with somebody out loud. Yeah. So, wow. Anyway, um, we're out of time, or at least the time we have today. You guys, if you want to do and want to interact with us on Telegram, I'll include the link to our private group in the show notes. 
and uh, you can participate in whatever conversations you want there. They range all over the map. Laura's been telling us wild stories of boys trying to date her in college. Or telling her why they won't date her. Yeah, or if they can interview and how catechized she is. All just these random things. Anyway, um, we got all sorts of stuff going on there. If you want to send us a note in another way, you can send us an email at tb, the number 2f, tb2f at pmpapamike.me tb2f at pm.me or you can go to our website www.toobusytoflush all grammatically correct dot com toobusytoflush.com you can scroll all the way down we've got a little postcard option there and while you're there you can order a people are weird and hard shirt or a too busy to flush subway tile t-shirt or something cool um, JR's not going to have time to do the Headless Spring Mantis. Life is weird and oh, hard. Oh, man, Headless. i got to write a note about that. Today, do this any, week. Are there any, if there's any artists or graphic designers, like, I'll Who pay you to pray this up. Praying Mantis. Draw us a Praying Mantis. We and will just pay says, you. Like, life is. In a free t-shirt. People are weird and hard. <laughs> life is weird and hard or something. I don't know. Um, you know, do that for me. That'd be great. Um. You can you can share it with me on those of those channels anyway. So uh, any, any uh, the other stuff I'll, I'll include in the notes. Then before us, Katie Faust. Um, if I can find some cool CCEF Ed Welsh stuff on suffering, I'll include that as well. And um, well, that's it. We will not be recording an episode next oh, week because right. we are going camping with Family most camping of trip. the Friesen clan. Yes, my brother and, and one of my sisters. We're going camping in Idaho. Last big camping hurrah of the year. That we have planned. Yeah. But we homeschool, so we might be camping in September too. You never know. Heck yeah. All right, guys. It's been real. Take care.